Hello, world singers. My name is Brooke. And I'm Tyler. And this is Cosmere Cosmere Conversations. We're here. We're back. The book is here. We've read it. It's in our brains. It is in my soul. It is in every experience that I've basically had (laughs) since then. I've actually read another book or two since Rhythm of War to try to get it out of my head just to get something else in there because the experience of reading Rhythm of War. Well, we're going to talk a lot about it. We have plans, people. We have plans. I did the opposite of that. I read Rhythm of War, and then I just immersed myself into a vat of Rhythm of War. (laughs) Just doubled down on the rhythms. Yeah. Which is totally a fine way to go. And I think that all of the fans out there, if you have not figured it out yet, this is an all-spoiler episode. (laughs) We're finally completely caught up. There's nothing to do now except for spoil every little part yes i know there have been some questions about dawn shard spoilers since not everyone has had access to that story as of yet um i don't think that there's a whole lot of crossover actually between the action of the two stories but we can't guarantee that there will not be any spoilers for dawn shard yes i would go further just because i want to try to encompass as much as possible it's all spoilers there is really no way to talk about the overall events of don shard not the specifics when we're discussing rhythm of war because like some characters have for example shard plate that they didn't used to have Mm. um so like yeah but i'm not trying to say that we are going to dive deep into don shard but be aware if you have not read Don Shard, that it does take place chronologically before Rhythm of War. And therefore, the characters are in places, you know, differently or in different situations uh, because of what happens in Don Shard. When it comes to what we are looking forward to, what this episode is going to be, and what the podcast is going to be going forward, but actually is just reverting to what it used to be. <laughs> yeah, we're going back to our roots as a deep dive, really specific Cosmere reference, which we have kind of strayed away from in recent months due to the drought and the reread, which by nature was more of a broad recap style. We are going to be going back to more of a narrow and deep approach into specific topics versus wide and shallow. So for those of you that have just maybe listened to the most recent episodes, we're trying to catch up for Rhythm of War with the reread, know that we are going to shift gears a little bit after this episode, which will be very familiar because it's just going to be our kind of first thoughts, can't wait, what's our favorite stuff that happened, and we're going to have this one last broad episode before really diving deep into what happened in Rhythm of War, what it means for the greater Cosmere. There is so much to explore. My brain hurts. It hurt while reading it. Especially this book. If we can just kind of dive into 
the episode proper right now. This book was so heavy on just information. It was like a scholarly work almost, as if this is when uh, J.R.R. Tolkien gets nerdy and like pauses writing The Hobbit and he's like, wait a minute, this is just like a child's story about a little dude who's like off in a cave. I'm going to have to pause, go write The Silmarillion, which happened 3,000 years oh, earlier, <laughs> so that you will understand and eventually get the moment when Frodo drops the ring <laughs> in the Mountain of Doom. This book is almost like that in terms of it's an exploration of the entire world, of the entire Cosmere, what the Cosmere Extended Universe means. It is really on another level and very different from many of the other works. And we'll talk so about that as well. So different. Yeah. Should we start with our can't wait items? Yes. Okay. Hit me with it. What can you not wait to talk about? Well, I can't stop thinking about Navani's entire storyline in Navani this book. Colin. To my mind, this is Navani's story. I wanted to skip everything else and just read about her and i basically have done that since i finished the book proper i just like the reread went back. is actually just a navani read <laughs> yeah you're like a, okay so thomas jefferson once made a bible but he cut out a bunch of pieces that he didn't like and so he became an editor for the bible and it's called the jeffersonian bible it's really short and it's basically just like be nice to people uh but you did that but just with navani you just cut the whole story out and now it's just a series of research events that happens <laughs> over a period of this woman's life yeah basically just everything Ugh, i've always been a huge navani fan and i just i loved getting more of her this book i loved Everything about her and her story and all of the incredible information that she gives us because she is now Navani Colin, mother of machines, voice of light, Bondsmith. Mic drop, walk away. There needs to be no more podcasts, but we'll do it out of habit. <laughs> Navani clearly was the best part, I think, of Rhythm of War. And I actually feel like Venley got a little shafted in the lead up to this this was like supposed to be venley's book and maybe before that it was supposed to be eshenai's book but yeah we were, i was expecting a lot more venley and what we got was really a i, I do think it was an ensemble kind of bit yeah and it's not purely navani's book maybe she will get one that's even more Navani focused in the future. I don't think so. However, I think I, this was like her time to shine. She shone real bright. <laughs> and I was very enthusiastic about Navani coming into this book. I think we talked about it more than once about how she was really holding up a lot of uh, Dalinar at the end or throughout all of Oathbringer and oh, stuff. Yeah. MVP. For yeah, show. and she needed some more cred. And now she has the most cred because she has bound one of the three powerful entities on Rashar in the form of the sibling, the tower, and is also capable of a bunch of stuff that we didn't know was possible beforehand. Some of those things, like what light is and how light and sound interact, as well as like what the tower is and its function, all of those things we are going to dive deep in. Don't Fred. Oh my god, there's there's so much. And so we're not going to do it all here. What is your 
thing that you can't wait to talk about. Outside of Navani, I think if I'm looking at this book as a whole, there's a lot of cool character moments, but the thing that's like, what's the most important thing that happens in Rhythm of War, I believe is the creation of Teravodium. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to go with that. That's permanently. what I've started calling him. So this is Teravangian holding the shard Odium. The death of Resa, the ascension of Teravangian, and his seeming desire to really step down on the gas of like what made Teravangian scary. He's like, now I have all power and can do exactly what I want. Yeah. And so for me... Basically terrifying. Teravodium is the most important part of Rhythm of War. See, the the Teravodium combo is great because it also kind of sounds like terrifying which it is so it's actually a little bit better than like i'm gonna double down on terravodium join us if you want you can find (laughs) us on twitter or facebook reddit we are all over the place let us know if you like terravodium or some other weird combination of things but it is terrifying so (laughs) we'll have a whole yeah oh that's not bad either gosh you're so good with words (laughs) I think that we are going to spend a lot of time talking about Teravangian. A lot. Once again, he's not anyone's focus uh, in terms of like screen time. He does get a little bit more than other books, but I would say that, you know, he is one of those interlude characters still. And yet I think it's the most important thing that happens. We will talk about why and how going forward, but I would only leave it with this is in the epigraphs we got another letter that we believe is from zazed written to i mean i think it's for sure from zazed yeah i don't want to you know oversell our confidence uh we leave room for all interpretations here (laughs) okay however it's definitely zazed (laughs) writing to hoid and he says a couple of things that i think are really specific and are actually about Teravodium or what to be afraid of in the future. It's heavy foreshadowing. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And I'll leave us with one quote and then we can move past our can't wait section. And I will say this is coming from Zazed to Hoyd. Quote, however, you seem more afraid of the vessel, speaking of Resa, I warn you that this is a flaw in your understanding. The power of Odium Shard is more dangerous than the mind behind it, particularly since any investiture seems to gain a will of its own when not controlled. End quote. Those are two Mm -hmm. different epigraphs, but combined, it is a big signal that the Shard and the power of the Shard is actually more of a player, or at least as important of a player as the vessel that is holding it. So we may be afraid of Teravangian, but Zazed is probably warning us that we need to be just as afraid of the power of Odium that now Teravangian holds. I have a lot to say about that, but I'm going to save it for our Teravodium full episode. Excellent. How about a rough cut? Anything that you didn't enjoy about this book? I think that from our excitement, you can probably also maybe pick out what our rough cuts would be, and that this is a book, to me, that feels like a lot of setup, 
a lot of moving characters around. I joked with you earlier that it's like episode eight of A Game of Thrones, which is always the big thing, the rememberable thing, the Red Wedding, the thing that happens to Ned Stark. All of those happen in episode nine. Episode nine is big oh, in Game of Thrones. Yeah. Episode eight is when all the characters need to get to where yeah. they need to be. So by yeah. the last season, just people are flying thousands of miles back and forth. Of course. That happens in the <laughs> penultimate episode. And that's kind of what this felt like. It is in our five series for the first part of the Stormlight Archive. This is, to me, feels like a setup episode, less so, and a middle book, which is yeah, what I think it's you the most said as well. Middle book feeling it reminded me a little bit of harry potter book five not as bad because i i personally think that that book is awful um, so not that bad but sort of like that where there is a whole lot of character development and there's a lot of information given and like you said it's a lot of setup and getting things where they need to be and getting readers information that they need in order to go into book five um, but in terms of like plot and action, um, it's much lighter, I feel, than previous books, in particular Oathbringer, which I kind of think is cool because Oathbringer is very much uh, Dalinar's book, right? It's all like war, action, action like really intense drama. Yeah, post traumatic stress. Is, yeah. And, and with all these things, <laughs> alcoholism and do my kids love me? <laughs> and Dalinar is like so much that, right? Just like a very intense sort of brooding, thoughtful man of action trying to be honorable, which is exactly what that book is. And Rhythm of War feels very, very much like Navani's book, where it's a lot of like thoughtfulness, relationships, and scholarship. Yes. I mean, a whole chapter is devoted to just scholarship. Yeah. Literally just like, this is how scholars work on Rashar. And this is how they used to work in the past through Rabaniel and her perspective, which is very, very interesting. And I love the dichotomy that exists. Rabaniel is one of the best characters. This is how we get sidetracked, though. We say one thing, then of course we want to talk about Let's just say that for us, I think the roughest cut is twofold. That this is a book that's going to be difficult to love. It might not make anybody's top number one in the Cosmere type of thing. But I do believe that this download of information and this kind of educating the reader on what the Cosmere has in store, because a lot of these things are things that were speculated and maybe like by Oathbringer, we could kind of put a lot of the pieces together, but now it's being established. This is now in world. A this is A ton of real mysteries stuff. have been solved, yeah. but a ton of mysteries remain. Which is the so, best way to do it. Yeah, exactly. And I think even though, like I'll, I'll probably say like, this won't be my number one book for in the sure. Cosmere. Yeah. And I definitely won't like super hype it for anyone uh, who hasn't read it and is just like waiting. I'll be like, you need to read it. You'll get through it. It's going to be great. There's a lot of great parts. Yeah. I mean, it's good. I wouldn't say it's bad. Definitely, I've I'm heard a lot of people uh, just straight Damn, out talking. disliking it. Yeah. I mean, and everybody I likes to be harsh. I don't harsh. dislike it, but it's a middle book. It's necessary, but it's not going to be your favorite. I think that's what just has to be understood going into it. What I agree with you 
and I'm just impressed by Brandon is that this is probably a thing that needs to happen. Like there's a reason that middle books are a trope and that people have <laughs> trouble with middle books. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard doing this and you want to do it. It's often important to do it, um, to set up the kind of world that you want to create. And Brandon is not just setting up Rashar. He's trying to set up the Cosmere extended universe. So he's trying to download multiple streams of information. I told you this earlier, but like I could have an entire conversation or just want more books about Vasher and like what does Vasher do every single day? And I just like uh, the conversation that Vasher has with Kaladin, that should be a movie. Just that scene should be one movie and I want to watch it and happen in real time. And if it takes like 76 minutes or whatever, that's great. I want to go on record as saying that I don't agree with all of these ideas. That's totally fine because <laughs> that's the way that things work in the real world. We compromise. We're halfway happy as the Stranger Things has taught us. I believe that this book has almost an endless amount of things to explore. Definitely. We will try to explore some of them. <laughs> We've got a few years now to go. I would just want to give like everyone a heads up. We have 20 episodes outlined. To start with. That's not a joke. So I don't know where we will get, you know, with the way the world goes, COVID, who knows how life works out. But as long as we can record, we have lots of things to talk about. Let's talk about some of our favorite things. We've talked about the things that are not our favorites. So now let's just gush. And I want the gushing to begin with you. I mean, tell me what is your favorite part? You already said Navani. We oh, love Navani. Yeah. There, for this episode, I am picking out a bunch of smaller things since we're going to do full episodes about all the big stuff. I'm picking out some small little things that just made me happy when I read them and that I keep thinking about since I've read. And number one is that Adolin is the freaking best. He is also very good looking <laughs> in my head. I don't know why, but he keeps getting more and more beautiful. It might be all of the artwork that's out there. Thank you to the artists who are drawing. Like, I'm down for it. I saw, okay, I've always thought this, and I saw someone else say it online, and it made me really happy, but Adolin is Soren from the Dragon Prince animated series. Wow. How did I not make that connection before? 100%. If you want to know what Adolin looks like, go watch the Dragon Prince. Obviously, I think Adolin is a little bit smarter than old Soren. Definitely smarter. However. But just in terms of, like, looks. And... Brings a Somewhat lot of same, personality. same things to the table and team dynamics definitely is kind of held together. But I, I think that Adolin not just is an attractive man with an attractive personality who does the right thing in a yeah. very honorable way throughout he's the entire the book. He's the freaking best. I also believe he's just a remarkable example of a friend and oh my someone who is just yeah. nice that's what I'm him. saying. He's just the best. Um, and I loved you... I loved seeing him really come into his own in this book um, and like start to become his own person. Yeah, instead and... of just the copy of Dalinar that's like slightly rebelling. Yes. And I have some other quotes about that too, but we'll get there maybe later. Um, but Exhibit A, Adolin is amazing. When he helps Kaladin, obviously, quote, Come on, Bright Lord, Master High Marshal Stormface. Change your coat to one that doesn't smell like smoke and then come with me. 
You don't have to smile. You don't have to talk. But if you're going to be miserable, you might as well do it with friends. End quote. The best. Everybody needs that friend who will both, like, give you some tough love and show up and be like, nope, you have to do what I say. I'm not going to leave you alone. And then also is, like, incredibly compassionate and um, and will let you just sit and be when you need to. Yeah, he's not needy and he's not like going to Kaladin where he needs Kaladin to come out. He says straight up, and this is like the joke that softens the really dark moment that happens almost immediately before or immediately after. I can't remember. Before. When. But he looks at Kaladin, like stares at him and is like, do you really want to be alone right now? And it's just Yeah, because that... there's like still agony spren yeah, around Kaladin. Exactly. And he's just like, come on, dude, you're not fooling anyone. Yes. And- that is kind of the just clearest example of Adolin's not doing this to kind of improve himself or to make himself better. It feels like he's generally interested in being there for the people, remembering those, and helping out his friends. I feel like we could just go back and forth with Adolin. Constantly, I- yeah. Um, another example of Adolin just being a supremely decent human is uh, some people are sort of like ribbing him for talking to his horse. And he says, quote, I talked to my sword too. Adolin told them. Funny thing is, she eventually talked back. Never be afraid to show a little respect to those you depend on, friends. End quote. This seems even weirder to me because everyone talks to their horse. Right? right? Like, like, who wouldn't talk to their horse? That's a normal action. Yeah, just like... Do you not talk to your dog or your cat? I was going to say, like, if in, you don't speak world, to your dog as a human, like, I don't know who you are. Or just, I, I will give as broad a category as people want. <laughs> you can talk to your dog like it's a little baby, which <laughs> I find weirder, but that's fine. You can make noises at your dog like you think the dog will understand. Just bark at them <laughs> if that works for you. But one way or another, you feel like you are communicating with that animal. Like, that's what animals do. Why would anybody mean the sword is more of a stretch. I could see how people are like, all right, dude, you're taking it a little far. That's an inanimate object. In his case, though, but it's his, not. Like, and his, just his dedication, again, to being just like decent to everyone. It's the best right? part of his father that he is 100%, taking 100%, yeah. And then in Shadesmar, he single-handedly dives into an incredibly imbalanced fight to defend Nottam who like wasn't even that nice to him yeah and oh man that scene is amazing it's such a great example of his prowess at dueling and uh and just like his his heart his soul his again just dedication to like being a good person and this is probably most exemplified when he is defended by his sword spren by maya at the final confrontation. We're going to save that moment and the trial and everything that goes along with it. But the only thing that I'll add to that is that the ink spren uh, comes up to him afterwards and is like, you passed the test, not the test of the trial, but the test to prove yourself worthy of Maya. And like, he is worthy. He's freaking worthy. I'm glad that other people are recognizing it too. Yeah. And... This has been a topic of discussion, how Adolin is most 
at risk of being left behind in a world with gods. And he's kind of felt this uh, his own way. Yeah, from like, his own perspective. Yeah. I think this is. But he's blazing more, his own trail. Exactly. As was like just his like with whole... his fashion. Like <laughs> all, every part of him is just like, you know what? I can go a little crazy with the fashion. Why? Because I'm Adolin Colin and I'm comfortable with myself. And that's fine. I told you this while we were reading, but I realized my Rhythm of War read made me realize that I am a combination of Adolin and Navani. And I realized this during the scene in which he is explaining why he needs all like 20 swords that he's bringing with him. I have many comments, but I believe that the best, Adolin, the real MVP, always. And Navani. <laughs> Okay, what's your first favorite thing? Well, I think that one of the things that really stood out to me, again, I was trying to think of like what was really important from this book Mm -hmm. and what's going to be important going forward. I thought it was the discovery that Ba-Edo-Mishriam, one of the unmade, tried to lead a false desolation or like a a Mm. desolation that wasn't led by Odium. Yeah. And so this creates a bunch of the problems that we see throughout the entire Stormlight series because what Ba'aido Mishram does is she binds herself to the singers, all of the singer population, with the exception of the listeners who walk away. The singers then are wounded kind of mentally we think it's something to do with the severing of connection, but when Ba'edo Mishriam is captured and imprisoned, she causes the severing of all of the singers, which leads to the parchment, and then all of their abuses, their slavery, and the way that they impact the entire society and develops, all of that stems not from an odium thing like I was thinking. It's more of like this weird situation of like the unmade tried to do something that they probably weren't capable of doing and then it backfired and it had all of these unnecessary repercussions but then odium kind of gets blamed for it but then the parchment are seen as just like forever slaves and like were abused it's just a very interesting result to this question of like what are the parchment or how did the parchment come to be i wasn't expecting it yeah me and either. I'm, i was surprised by it it definitely i think alludes to a lot of the importance of what are the unmade how are they created how are they captured how are they controlled what do the gemstones that are powerful enough to hold them how are those used in the future and then lastly i just want to leave us with a quote from Kalek. this is from his epigraphs i believe part four he says quote as one who has suffered for so many centuries as one whom it broke, please find Mishriam and release her, not just for her own good, for the good of all Spren. For I believe that in confining her, we have caused a greater wound to Rashar than any ever realized. End quote. Again, this is just one of those things that I don't know what Brandon quite has in the works, but it seems really important to me. Definitely. And it was just barely introduced in this book we really had no idea that this had happened prior to rhythm of war so interesting introduction and obviously it will begin to develop in the future this is one of those like new mysteries that was introduced while other mysteries were being solved 
How about you tell me about another one of your favorite things? Well, we're going to talk a lot about Navani's uh, scholarship journey, discovering uh, light, etc. But a smaller part, well, smaller in quotes, but extremely significant part of her character journey as a whole in this book is her journey with emotional and mental abuse, which this book was really heavy on the uh, mental illness aspect mm-hmm. of all Many of the characters. characters. Yeah. Um, but we haven't really seen this reflected at all in Navani heretofore. And it's a journey that I personally really relate to. And it was just, it was great to see it represented and to see her overcome uh, the mental and emotional abuse that she suffered from her husband. Because we also found out in this book that Gavilar was kind of an asshole. Never really thought he was great with how quick Navani was uh, willing to run over to the big D. <laughs> but uh, I do I do like this aspect of the exploration of Gavilar. Clearly, he's investigating one of the mysteries, and we'll talk about that more. But just like, this is important for Navani as a character and for her growth and her arc in Rhythm of War. You really do have to understand, like, why is this such a driving, motivating factor for you when you're going to take all these actions? And it makes sense as we learn more about her. And it's so wonderful the way that it sort of comes to its climax or its end, where she has carried these words with her so long, the words of her husband telling her that she is not worthy, that she is not a scholar, you know, she's not good at anything, basically. And this comes to a conclusion when she is about to die and the sibling is about to die. And she says, quote, take me. Navani whispered to the sibling. Bond me. No, the sibling said, voice faint. Why? You aren't worthy, Navani. End quote. Which just like breaks your heart. Breaks your heart. But I love that it ends with her saying, quote, lies. She whispered, and they were. They truly were. She pressed her hand to the pillar. Take me as your bondsmith. I am worthy, sibling. I say the words. Life before death. No. So soft. We are too different. You capture Spren. Who better to work together than two who believe differently? Strength before weakness. We can compromise. Isn't that the soul of building bonds, of uniting? We can find the answers. Navani said, blood dribbling from her lips. Together. You just want to live. Don't you? End quote. I love that it is her who declares herself worthy and that she is not deemed worthy because the sibling chooses to bond her. Yeah, I think that's probably the best point in this clarity that we get where Navani starts, you know, you're not worthy of being a scholar, you're not worthy of being in my my room with all these important people, says Gavilar, then sibling, you're not worthy, and just this continual... Well, and we see, yeah, the whole, in all of the books, actually, she's always saying, oh, I'm not really a scholar, I'm not really an artifabrian, I'm not really a scientist. But that self comes because of a lot of external doubt. Exactly. And so it is so powerful 
and emotional to get to this conclusion where, as you said, she is understanding and recognizing her true self and her authentic self and saying, I am worthy. And you know what, sibling, we're in the same situation about about to die. Uh, <laughs> but like, she's just, she's not a victim to like the sibling's whims. It's right. A, it's not external validation. Yes. It's her own declaration of validation. And I believe that that is what is eventually the unifying thing between the sibling and Navani yeah. is that the understanding of that internal motivation is what can unite them. And that I feel is really powerful. Absolutely. And Raboniel really makes that moment possible by... Showing Navani that she is a scholar, one, yeah. and like recognizing her as such when Navani is not able to. To the point that Navani is almost desirous of working more with Rabaniel just to get that yeah, praise. Just they're to great get that. together. Exactly. It's every moment that they're together, I'm just like, this is awesome. <laughs> but then also, like you were saying, she Rabaniel teaches Navani that uh People who are different can work together, which is exactly how Navani uh, convinces the sibling. If you do not mind, I would also like to say some words in praise of Navani. I know this. I have been... no qualms with anyone ever talking about Navani. I know this is as long as it's positive. <laughs> a Navani heavy episode already, but I will just say the overall arc and discovery of the rhythm of war specifically the way that sound interacts, the way that every single part Everything. of all the things that we have been talking about for many books came together in what is literally like two people singing into existence oh. this light, this war light, this rhythm of war. I feel like it is just, it's potent, it works so well, and it's one of the things that it's just really impressive when you look at the whole Cosmere. We have this long, long train of events that has been leading us to this moment that Navani has singing with Rabaniel. And I just was really impressed. Like every single time, you know, she made a slightly new discovery and she's getting closer and closer. Mm -hmm. It just felt like all of these pieces were sliding into place for a key that I had all the time. <laughs> it's like a magician. You know, they give you something at the beginning of the trick and then that's the thing that's the key to unlocking something later. That's how I felt. I was just like, oh, just like this all just like worked seamlessly together. It didn't have to. It, there was no reason that it should have, uh, but it really seemed to. And I think that's one of the strengths of Rhythm of War is that it connected so many of these different threads and Navani is that thing that is doing the connecting, literally binding together different parts of the Cosmere and of Stormlight Archive. She really proved, we've had two books of new Bondsmiths, and in each of them, yeah. I'm just like, you guys are doing so great at bonding. <laughs> so that's my claim to Navani. I believe that this will be the quote that rings true and comes out of Rhythm of War and maybe makes its way up all the way to uh, the Rhythm of War movie or whatever someday. <laughs> it is this, quote, I can name this rhythm, the rhythm of war, odium and honor mixed together. I had not known it before today, but I recognize its name. I know this as surely as I know my own. 
each rhythm carries with it an understanding of its meaning, end quote. Beautiful. Tell me more about what you loved from this beautiful work of art. Well, my my next one is not quite as uh, poignant as yours. Like I said, I'm picking out small things and I took such delight in discovering actual wine on Rajar. I feel like this is another thing that's been building up. You just be like, oh, they're all a bunch of drunkards. What are the different types of wines? What do they mean? The colors? Right. Yeah, because it's so weird when you first start reading and they have all these weird colored wines and then you realize that it's actually more of like uh, distilling alcohol versus Mm. wine and some of it's actually more like Like juice. juice. And I think I was actually drinking wine while I was (laughs) reading this. Probably didn't have any impact on how cute you thought it was. (laughs) Definitely not. So we have, quote, It was a sweet wine, deep red, bloody in color. It didn't taste like anything she'd had before. Fruity yet robust and perhaps a little bit heavy, end quote. And uh, my note there was, is this actual wine? And then a couple lines later, quote, Shin wine. They have no idea how to ferment a proper alcohol. They make it all out of this strange little berry, end quote. And my note here is actual wine. (laughs) And we later discover that it is from... Yeah, they call it a mostha and it is made from grapes. Yes. I love the idea that the different alcohols that we were introduced to and the different drinks that we were introduced to all do have a similarity in their history and how they are developed from different crops. And I think that that is also important. It's not something that is overly explored in fantasy, but I would say that the creation of alcohols is like very intertwined with geography and human history. Oh, yeah. And there's a lot of different aspects that you could explore. Again, magic is cooler, so that's normally what they (laughs) focus on. But just the idea that multiple cultures, based on what they had around them, are all trying to get intoxicated. They are doing whatever they can to get drunk. They're also trying to not drink water filled with bacteria. So It's another good key (laughs) point. And when it comes to bacteria, oh boy, do we have some special episodes for me to talk about. Oh no, I've opened up a can of worms. Over to you. I think one of the most important things to talk about is wit what to even say about wit there is so much wit <laughs> that i was overwhelmed in surprised. a very different way though yes a it, not wit wit a more hoid like wit a much more hoid wit a much more like integrated wit where he's not just like popping up in random places and telling stories but he does that too he does that too but but he's also just like hanging out in the hanging background. out yeah, yeah just, just like, was there yeah and i'm just I'm so interested in, he has a relationship. We'll maybe talk about the extent of their relationship later, but he has a relationship with Yasna. He is basically and kind of functionally known throughout the world as the queen's consort, as her lover, as her person that hangs there's out with a, him. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, whispers and gossip and speculation about the fact that he is always by her side. Yeah, I don't know if it would be as formal as like an actual consort. But yeah, no, I think there's just a mention of like people... Side-eye a little bit. Yeah, kind of side-eye whispering and like wondering about the nature of their relationship. 
And then we get, I believe from Yasna's perspective, a tiny couple of paragraphs about their relationship. Yeah. And it is a weird one. It is definitely one it's that very fits. interesting. Yeah, it fits Yasna in a way, but I wouldn't ever guess that it would fit Hoyd. Yeah. Like this, well, I think he even says that. He's yes, like, he I didn't expect to fall for you. Yeah, I think both of them say that. Like, it was a mutual thing of accidentally being in acquaintance. I don't know what the extent of... Does Hoyd actually love Yasna? Does Yasna love Hoyd? Is it more like a they're both very smart and capable and important to each other. And so therefore they're like the only people that they can really talk to and have a relation. Well, like, yeah. I, I mean, I think all of the above, do we I actually agree. want to talk about this now or are we going to do an episode about this? We are definitely going to do a Hoyd centric episode, but I would at least say that, yeah, let's talk about it a little bit. Do you, do you think that Hoyd's relationship with Yasna is, as I said, more, personal or circumstantial Ooh, i think it is personal they both have a uh an appreciation and a fondness for each other because they are both quite knowledgeable and they can talk to each other about things they can't talk to anyone else about but they're two very different people and not only because Hoyt is a million years old <laughs> and like weirdly invested, but Hoyt has unexpectedly and legitimately, I think, fallen in love with Yasna. But we find out in this book that Yasna, it seems, is asexual, meaning she's a person who uh, doesn't really connect to people through physical intimacy, but more through their mind and conversation and the other ways that we have to connect with people. So there's kind of a weird disconnect there in their relationship where Wit is trying to have what we would consider more of like a typical relationship, romantic relationship, where they have a physical connection. And that's like just not really Asna's jam, but she likes him and is very fond of him. And I believe from what little we get that it is a consenting relationship oh yeah 100 that each of them are involved in but it is a complicated one on both sides and i think that i'm very interested to explore hoyd as an actual character or wit as an actual character i yeah. don't know so i have this kind of theory that is been percolating around about the idea of Hoyt is now bonded to Rashar because he has bonded a Spren and oh. can't leave. And so therefore he's, this is my theory, is that therefore he's becoming more Risharian where maybe previously a real skipping around Hoyt, <laughs> he would look at every single person that he came across as just like a pawn. Like, yeah. you're not someone I'm going to fall in love with. You're someone I'm using to get right. to this thing that I want, and I'm out of here. But now that he's stuck on Rashar functionally, there is just more and more normal Risharian things that are calling to him, normal human things that are calling to him in maybe a way that did not happen in his past. Yeah, I love that. I would just put forward the idea that maybe the thing tying him to Rashar is his connection to Ooh, Yasna not. more than his spren bond. 
But I think that's a great point that this book is a big moment for Hoyd to sort of be brought down from his magical entity pedestal that he's sort of been on up until this point and through various uh, happenings in this book, including the epilogue, he is really like brought down mm, to yeah. the level of more of a normal uh, character, which is terrifying, but very exciting. And I, we'll talk more about that in our Hoyt episode. Exactly. There's so much more Hoyt to come. I do want to say that he's still plenty capable of doing a bunch of weird magic stuff that we haven't seen before. For example, he gets Kaladin into some type of like dream time bubble. Dream within a dream. Yeah, basically an Inception-like thing going on. But it is oddly similar to a time bubble. It very much feels like Wayne. Yes, but also at the same time, it's like a little bit of teleportation or something because he says that they're not on Rashar anymore, that he's like removed them from where Kaladin actually is in the physical world. But Kaladin's also, I think on Braze, it's very hard to tell yeah. like where they are, but it's not great. It's like no atmosphere, real rocky, disgusting planet. And Hoyd uses this magic kind of like a time bubble. And I'm still very interested in how all of these different things connect and play together down the road. We'll give you some more deep dives and speculation when we get into Hoyd specifically. How about back over to you for another favorite thing? I am going to go with the cryptics. Ooh, good old cryptics. <laughs> this is, it's very small, but it is something that I, when I think about Rhythm of War, I remember these moments because they're just so funny. And I think there are fewer uh, sort of humorous side notes in Rhythm of War than there have been in previous books, which have been sort of a a blend of like lighthearted or touching moments with really dramatic, intense moments. There's not as many of those lighter moments in Rhythm of War, in my opinion, but some of the best <laughs> come from, from the cryptics. <laughs> Quote, she smiled and stopped him, then went up on her tiptoes to kiss him. I like the outfit, too. You chose well. Thanks. I... Adolin trailed off as someone else put their arm around him, then around Shalon. Adolin twisted his head to find Pattern standing behind them, giving both of them a hug. His clothing was stiff like it was made out of glass, and his collar pressed uncomfortably against Adolin's ear. Mm. Pattern said. I like having arms. If Maya does not speak and you want to hear someone speak, I am very good at talking. I can say words about many kinds of things. End quote. <laughs> Once again, Pattern being the real MVP. And I think something that we learn about the cryptics is that they're all named Pattern. Yes, that is another amazing moment. Because I... of course they are, because they're all Pattern. We're okay, going to read sorry. the quote. <laughs> quote, Pattern doesn't like to be seen. I'd prefer if you use the cryptic's other name, Radiant said. It's confusing otherwise. After being pressured, each of the other cryptics had picked individual names for the humans to use. I don't understand why, he said. Our names already are all different. I am Pattern. She is Pattern. Gaz has Pattern. Those are the same words, Pattern. End quote. <laughs> Amazing. 
and just what a perfect idea is. I, I love this stuff. I love when things make sense and line up because yes, it's a joke. Yes, it's done sillily and presented it in a silly way, but it also gets at something important about the cryptics. It tells you something, a joke, a simple kind of thing, tells you something significant yeah. about how the cryptics see themselves, how they the, see others, and what they feel like they are. The line right after this is something like, humans can't intonate mathematical equations pattern. Like, we can't speak them. Yeah. But that's what they are. They're a pattern. <laughs> yeah. And then my last quote is just a truly wonderful phrase that comes from Mosaic, who is Vatha's cryptic. Quote, wonderful and blessed contradiction of nonsense and human complication to be alive. End quote. I just want to like emblazon that on a wall in yeah, my that's house. that's a good tattoo. That's everything. What else did you love from Rhythm of War? Well, to keep it on the spren, I'll go over to Maya. Maya and Maya. her scene at the trial, completely Obviously. different from how I expected the trial to end, which is another just like nice reversal within the whole book. I was expecting the Shalon angle to oh. really be the the play like i uh -huh. thought that she was going to take the form the of thing. collect and then yeah. i was going to set up just a whole bunch of problems for her down the road and just like oh you actually convinced the honor friend to do something by a lie and that's not honorable and so they would all die at one time i was like fully built into this crazy conspiracy <laughs> and then instead it focuses down on the characters and like what the actual meaning of these things that we are experiencing is like what is a shard blade adolin discovers maya maya's personality develops she is clearly like a sentient feeling creature that has lost something lost some connection lost some abilities but like as adolin keeps trusting trusting in her and when she is put under the enormous stress of that final confrontation where she's being used by the honor sprint. Oh, man. Yeah, that was the twist for me. I expected her to come and testify for Adolin. I did not expect her to be used by the honor sprint to testify against him. Yes, and that, that setup put her in that situation where as a character, you can just imagine, if this was any other character, we would have instantly thought, oh, they, they won't let this happen. They'll fight this. They'll resist this. And because it's Maya your thought is like, oh, she can't do anything. She's powerless. To, and instead, she says what is probably, you know, the defining thought or the defining philosophy of much of the Stormlight Archive and certainly this book specifically. And a huge reveal. It is a massive reveal in general about the Recreants. We'll save that deep dive. But the quote itself is, to me, just personally very powerful and definitely is meant to echo what Dalinar teaches us in Oathbringer. So she's under stress, she's under pain, and for the first time publicly, or to any type of large audience of people, she speaks. And this is where I feel very inadequate as a voice actor, because I am not a voice actor, I'm just someone talking to you right now. And this is supposed to be a very impactful moment. So I'm going to give this a little bit less than more in this circumstance, which I've been told works well. So Maya's under stress and she says, quote, 
You cannot have my sacrifice, she shouted. Mine, my sacrifice. Not yours, she pointed at the crowd. Not theirs, she pointed at Adolin. Not his, mine, my sacrifice, end quote. And then she basically collapses and Adolin runs up to hold her and it leaves everyone in the stunned silence because of, as you said, the implication of what she is talking about. I think Adolin does ask her a few follow-up questions like, you chose this, you knew what you were doing. And she's kind of like, yes, we chose, we decided this, we had agency. I'm not a victim. Yes. I did this on purpose. It's very similar to what we talked about with Navani earlier about yeah. how that type, type of self-actualization yeah. is what my experience is this moment. And it and it's great that no one else gives that to her. She doesn't need, you know, it's not Adolin. Mm-hmm. Although he does stand up for her, this moment is not that. It's her taking control and like making this statement yeah. of everyone is looking at me like I need to be pitied and i can't do anything and i'm a victim yeah and i'm not and none of them were that's what she's saying i mean that's the important aspect of what she's saying is every single one of the shard blades that the spren hold up as this example of all of the dead eyes that are standing outside of lasting integrity right now yeah that all the honor spren know and are like one of the things they're dealing with in the background is what do we do with all these dead eyes? And, and that's they, the whole reason why they don't like the humans. Yes, exactly. So it just has this like wave after wave of impact from Maya's stand that she takes here. I felt it was really powerful. It was a great way to end that um, that kind of plot line. And I, because of the reasons that we've mentioned, think that this is will have a lot of impact down the road in terms of what it means and how we interact with these things. And like, what is Adolin becoming with Maya? Because it's not a radiant as we understand it, but it is also something else, something that it seems nobody else is aware of. Or It seems like something new. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But another merging of things like the rhythm of war. Like it's a new rhythm that is being be- created between them. <laughs> Not quite that drastic. Yeah. But do you do understand what I'm saying? It's like a they were two separate things and now they are weaving together into something that is harmonious. It will certainly be interesting to see that relationship continue to develop. My final uh, thing sort of goes along this line because that was another new mystery that was sort of brought up and a few smaller ones that are just tickling the back of my brain. One, who is the man with the AVR who Murray's killed? Yeah, because this was like Lyft was trying yeah. to intervene. So Lyft now has, has his, his AVR, AVR, but like who is that guy? And why is someone other is he another ghost blood, like rival ghost blood? Obviously, he's a world hopper, but like, I just am so fascinated by who this person is. And then another person that I am the most dying to know who is 16. Who is 16? I need to know. When Shalon is searching for Rasteris, she believes that it is this person at Lasting Integrity named. 16. And a few quotes here. 
Quote, the target called himself 16. He supposedly came out of his home once every 16 days exactly. The regularity of it amused the honors friend, who suffered the odd fellow because of the novelty. No one knew how he survived without food, and no one reported a terrible stench or anything like that from him, though he didn't seem to ever bathe or empty a chamber pot. End quote. Okay, so to me, this leans towards highly invested entity slash friend. Yeah, like friend. a return. Kind of, yeah. Maybe, but like... Obviously, 16, like, 16 shards. Is he part of the 17th shard? Like, why 16? Because that was preservation and he's preserving in some way. Like, I... No. Why could he not be from Scadriel? I mean, he could be. He could be from anywhere. I'm just saying he's clearly incredibly Cosmere aware. I think he is naming himself, like, after the 16 shards. Let's go over to... Another quote about his description, physical description. Yeah. When Shalon finally sees him, quote, he was shin. There was no mistaking that pale, almost sickly skin and those childlike eyes, end quote. And then she encounters him and, quote, he shouted and said something to her in a language she didn't recognize, end quote. So clearly from off world, he is not Risharan. My bet is something to do with Scadrille. I do kind of like the tie-in to what we heard earlier that that I quoted earlier from Zay's about just like what happens to power when it's left alone. And we know that kind of all of these different highly invested entities are probably dealing with some fraying and some breaking in some way. So I think he's a highly invested entity of some type and is devolving around maybe an ad nauseum thing but my first guess is scadrian i am just fascinated and i need to know i really hope that we'll get more in yeah i hope it's revealed and it's not just going to dangle unresolved all right last favorite thing from you give it to me there were a couple and there's more that i want to talk about obviously however I want to really close off this Rhythm of War discussion with something that is mainly about the characters in Rhythm of War and less Cosmere, but I have more Cosmere things as well. But I do believe that what we discover as we follow Kaladin's plotline and his eventual swearing of the fourth ideal is one of the highlights of the book and continues on our trend of Kaladin receiving a power-up each book in a very like normal or like level-based like you're on a new level and therefore you receive (laughs) new powers and with those powers you were able to do xyz so he's our stand-in avatar our very you know your basic avatar (laughs) in the video game that is the stormlight archive but with the death of teft yes he'll come too at another time but with the death of teft and Kaladin's ascension to the fourth ideal i do hope that we are in a new position a new phase of what kaladin means to the story because for a long time he has meant one thing and i think that now is the opportunity like dalinar did in oathbringer where he can be something else is that a champion i don't know is that something bigger in the cosmere i don't know 
Yeah, I feel I feel that that will be true for all of the characters. I think that Kaladin has clearly been set up to enter the next phase of his life, which is uh, very gratifying for me to see. I'm I'm really happy to move on with Kaladin because, like you said, he's been sort of playing the same role for all four books, really. And even in this book, he was, like, trying to transition, but he didn't really get to. And we'll talk about that more in the Kaladin episode. But I think I definitely think he's going to move forward in a different way. I think Shallan is going to move forward in a different way. She's been set up to sort of be the next world hopper, the next yeah. Chris, the next Azure, which is really exciting, again, to see her sort of grow and move into a different role for herself. Tip, you just said the coolest Charlie's Cosmic Angels <laughs> thing I've ever heard of. Chris, Shallan, Azure. What? That's amazing right there. That'd be a great movie. I agree, though. A lot of characters are set up to kind of go in a new direction from, and it's great to see all these transitions. Yeah, which is why this book felt a little rough because everyone was like moving from one thing to the next thing, which is not our favorite thing in yeah, life. Yeah, transitions are hard. Yeah, like we don't like being in the middle. <laughs> so that's why some parts of this book just feel really growing pain e. But I'm really happy with where everyone ends up and excited to move forward with all of them. When it comes to the magic of Kaladin or, you know, his superpowers, one of the things that there are a lot of mysteries unveiled and also introduced comes in place of the surge of adhesion, Kaladin's secondary surge, the one that he is less experienced with, but also one that we get a couple of, well, I'll just say like strange quotes yeah. and kind of right now not fully understood aspects of like, what is adhesion? As a reminder, adhesion is shared by the Bondsmiths and the Windrunners. Interestingly, in this book, it is called Honor's Truest Surge. And it is, I believe, the main reason why Windrunners were slightly resistant to the the shutdown powers of the tower. And it's the only surge that works for Kaladin. Yes. So there's sort of a justification for that in that Raboniel says that anyone close to the fourth ideal or higher may be immune to the shutdown, which is true of Kaladin. He's close to the fourth ideal and he is able to stay awake. Um, but the only surge that works is his adhesion surge. And then the evidence, if we want to look at it that way, for why it applies to all the Windrunners is what Liren, I believe, says to one of the Fused, which is that all the Windrunners are more awake than all the other orders. Mm. They stir more. They sniff more. Sometimes they talk more. Like They say things. I think that's sleep. actually uh, Venli and her other singers who are like helping. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but they notice that all of the Windrunners are just a little bit more awake than everyone else who's like straight in a coma. And so I have this kind of thought that maybe the surges don't exist on like an even plane. Maybe there is a kind of 
sliding scale or even a bell curve of, you know, how do different surges meld together? Are some from cultivation's power, some from honor's power, are some, like it seems with adhesion, all from honor or mostly from honor? Very confusing. Yeah, it's and that, very confusing. I It's l- the least explored aspect, but it was definitely continually brought up in Kaladin's storyline is like something is different about adhesion. And that's what I wanted to leave us with when it comes to Kaladin and his his power growth. So that was really Risharian focused. What would you say is a Cosmere-wide thing that we could leave the fans with? Well, there is one big thing that has been making the rounds on the internet that is very exciting is Thytokar, the ultimate master of the Ghost Bloods. The boss of Mraze's boss. Thytokar is introduced in this kind of menacing way of like, oh, you think you can deal with me? Well, yeah, can like, you deal you don't want to cross Thytokar. And there are a couple of hints, we will say, about Thytokar's ultimate identity definitely seems to be off-world and is name-checked or is given a nickname as the Lord of Scars. Dun-dun-dun! Sounds like someone else we know. I think the final reveal comes from Hoyd, who makes Shallan send a message (laughs) to Thydekar saying, don't make me come back there and slap you around again. Now, we know that Hoyd doesn't slap many people around, but the one person in the Cosmere that has been legitimately slapped by Hoyd is Kelsier. And so with that, mixed with Lord of Scars, mixed with Offworld, and maybe interested in like getting a bunch of investiture or interviewing a couple of highly invested entities to see how they got stapled back, a lot of speculation about Kelsier. I think that this is, next to Azure, one of the kind of clearest examples of our world slamming together. I would not call this a clear example. Okay. There are other Only if much more blatant examples, but it is a very interesting and intriguing connection between worlds. That is what I meant, is that it is a big example of what is possible in this universe because we get a lot of information, partially from Collect, but partially from different sources throughout Rhythm of War about what it means to be a highly invested entity. The Fused, the Heralds. Bashar. We are start finding out all of these little things. We kind of knew that if you hung around too long, you go crazy. Rabaniel's only goal was to end the craziness, the suffering of her daughter who was experiencing this same thing of constantly being reborn because they are a highly invested entity, type two, as Vasher calls them. But I think that it should also be noted that that is also what Kelsier is. And we've just gotten very little about Kelsier. We know he's hanging around Mistborn Era 2. We believe that Mistborn Era 2 is right around like book five in the Stormlight Archive. So it's kind of happening. The events of Mistborn Era 1 have probably happened by the time Rhythm of War but the events of Mistborn Era 2 are in the works. And so there is a crossover potential here that I'm seeing as like end of book five, where end of book five Stormlight Archive might correspond with like a Mistborn Era 3 
That could be a huge time in the Cosmere if it is actually true that a Thytokar reveal is the Lord of Scars Kelsier. Oh, man. That's it, guys. That's the Cosmere Extended Universe right there. Just wrap it up in a bow and send it out <sighs> for whatever Rasharians do instead of Christmas. I would love to round out the episode with just a few of our favorite quotes that are maybe not like plot or character relevant, mm -hmm. which we will be dropping into later episodes, but just a couple of fave quotes to take away with us. I'd love to do that as well. For example, one of my favorites just explains 2020 in a nutshell, and it comes from Lyft. Quote, she wasn't really angry, wasn't really sad, just Blargolgorf, supremely Blargolgorf, <laughs> end quote. I don't know about you, but that's exactly how I feel. Supremely Blargolgorf. Yes. <laughs> Keeping it on the humorous line, when Kaladin is expressing some concerns about uh, his sexual life, his romantic life, someone, uh, I believe Adolin, says something about, oh, maybe you should ask Syl. And Kaladin says, quote, Syl used to think human children came out through the nose in a particularly violent sneeze, Kaladin said. She is not an authority on this topic, end quote. It is always a good reminder to remember that our spren friends are not quite fully developed yet. <laughs> <laughs> they are in the process of transition as well. Speaking of Syl, a hilarious quote from her. Quote, I need to tell you something. Aladar's axhounds had puppies. I had no idea how much I needed to see puppies until I flew by them this morning. They are the grossest things on the planet, Kaladin. They're somehow so gross that they're cute. So cute I could have died, except I can't, because I'm an eternal sliver of God himself, and we have standards about things like that. End quote. Perfect. This concludes my audition reel for Cell. Yeah, and I, being the only judge, say you nailed it. Thank you. There, of course, are also the quotes that are you know, designed to cut deep into our soul and make us remember and do things better. But I think that one of the great elements of Kaladin's discovery was realizing that he can help people and protect mm, people yeah. without fighting. 100. And that comes in the form of him uh, helping those who are suffering from mental diseases, mis mental disorders, a lot of post-traumatic stress in their world, obviously. But he says this, quote, you need someone to talk to, Norrell. When the darkness is strong, someone to remind you the world hasn't always been this way, that it won't always be this way, end quote. So even if your 2020 is feeling particularly... Blargolgorf. Know that the world hasn't always been this way, and it won't always be this way. Wit has a great quote about that as well that also feels particularly poignant in 2020 which is uh, when he is talking to Kaladin and he says, quote, you told me it would get worse. It will, Wit said, but then it will get better. Then it will get worse again. Then better. This is life. And I will not lie by saying every day will be sunshine, but there will be sunshine again. And that is a very different thing to say. That is the truth. I promise you, Kaladin, you will be warm again end quote. Yeah. Obviously, we can't 
end any quote wrap up from Rhythm of War without the absolutely excellent line uttered by Navani to fuck Moash, you fuck, which is, quote, journey before destination, you bastard, end quote. And with that, we sail off into the sunset. Share with us your favorite quotes. You can find us on Facebook, Reddit, Twitter. We're everywhere. It has been a long drought, but that drought is over. Sometimes it still feels like we are deep, deep in the darkness, but we will be warm again. We are warm again. I mean, we have Rhythm of War (laughs) to keep us warm. Uh, Don't burn books. It's bad. Stay warm. But Rhythm of War would keep you warm for a long time if you burned it. We hope that wherever you are, whenever you are, that you have enjoyed Rhythm of War and will continue to enjoy with us as we discuss and dive deep into all and every different aspect. We hope that you are warm, and if you are not, know that you will be again. Until next time, life before death. Strength before weakness. Journey before destination. Destination.